Hey everybody, this is Lucas from Coastal Vineyard. Just wanted to say thank you for downloading this podcast or maybe picking up a CD after service. We love you and we are praying for you. We believe that your best days are yet to come. So expect the best. We hope that this message inspires you and moves your faith into action. So sit back and enjoy. I read a a catechism last week that said this, what is the chief end of man? And the, the answer was this, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we talked about how uh, usually among most people we could agree on the glorifying God part. It's the enjoying part that we get hung up on. And there's all different types and ways that uh, we try to think that we can enjoy God and go about it. And usually what you'll find is there will be kind of two sides of the street when it comes to enjoying God. There's a side of the street that says, over here, um, everything is all about the future. Everything is all about, we just kind of struggle through this life and all of these present circumstances to one day get to heaven, and that's when we will truly be able to enjoy God. So we just kind of got to make it through right now. We just kind of kind of hold on till the very end and just got to, you know, all of this is just part of living in this life, and yet heaven will be out there. There will be a day that will come, and we will enjoy God. And so we abstain from all of these things. We don't do all of this other, and our life is really defined by the things that we keep away from rather than the things we do. And then there's another group of people over here that are the complete opposite, that everything in life is all about their enjoyment. And everything uh, about enjoying God is all wrapped up in what makes me happy, um, how I can, I I could best eat, drink, and be merry, and life is just, uh, uh, just one kind of big party, and it just continues through with, with no consequences. And I would say that both sides of that street are wrong. That sometimes, even with maybe some of us, we've come out of a background that has really focused on one or the other, where it's all about all our enjoyment and about being blessed and God wants you to have a big house and lots of money and lots of cars and all this other stuff or God wants you to be dead broke and suffer and all this stuff. And so what happens is sometimes we'll come out of these backgrounds and we'll end up kind of jumping ditches. We, we go from one extreme to the other. We go from kind of going over this area to now we're living in this area. And both areas are wrong. So we kind of find ourselves like America and England where America says, hey, you must drive on the right side of the street. And England says, hey, you must drive on the left side of the street. But if we were in India, they would say, hey, drive wherever you want. Who cares as long as you get there? Or if we were in Antarctica, they would say, hey, what street? You know, drive wherever you want. So there's all this kind of thing of how do we enjoy God? How do we best live this life out blessed? What exactly does it mean to be blessed. Because here's what I think. I think that there is a life that could be lived right now, right here, and it could be wonderful, and it could be beautiful, and yet it could still be leading us to life 
and life more abundantly. That there is, there is an aspect of being a Christian that the hallmarks of what we should be known for is things like joy and peace and forgiveness and understanding. And so whenever you think of a Christian or when you think of your life, are these some of the trademark words that you would use to define who a Christian is or who you are? A life of forgiveness. A life of joy. That's a hard question to answer. Are you satisfied with God? Are you living this joyful Christian life? Or are we finding ourselves on one side of this ditch? You see, I kind of define blessed a little bit different. I think that to truly be blessed means what Paul says. Paul says that I have learned that in whatever state I am in, whether I am abasing or abounding, whether I have plenty or whether I have not enough, I've learned that in all things to be content. I've learned that it doesn't matter if everything's going my way or everything's just going wrong. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I think, now that is what being blessed is. I think what being blessed is, whether or not you have a million dollars in the bank or one dollar in the bank, it doesn't matter. Your enjoyment and your satisfaction and your pleasures in Christ don't rest upon outward circumstances. Now that is my definition of blessed. I believe Paul uh, agrees, or I better yet agree with Paul on what he says, this life can look like and could be lived. Uh, Because here is a man who knows what it's like to be stoned, to be left for dead, to go through all different types of trials and tribulations, and yet also have amazing successes, do crazy wonderful things, and yet still live this life in such a way that he enjoys and loves God. A life that's not dependent upon outward circumstances. I think that is the blessed life. But this morning, uh, not my thoughts, not Paul's thoughts, but I want to look at the thoughts of another man in the Bible. This is a man um, that has gone from being a shepherd boy to being a king, to being an outlaw, to sleeping in the fields, to sleeping in a palace, to back to sleeping in the fields. He's gone from the cave to the palace to the cave again. He's had his whole family turned against him. He's been surrounded by danger time and time again. And yet he's had wonderful victories. He's had major defeats. He's killed giants. And he's also committed adultery. He's brought back the presence of God. And yet he was a liar. He played beautiful music. He penned some of the most amazing poems that this world has ever seen, and we still read today and know by heart. And yet, with that same pen, maybe, with that same hand, he wrote the letter to send another man's, another woman's husband off to his death. His name was Uriah. He's been raised up, and he's been brought low. He's been through all different types of circumstances. And the Bible says that this is a man after God's own heart. David. 
This is a man that was after God's own heart, that went through uh, incredible successes, incredible failures, incredible sins in his life, and all of these different things, and he made it through with God. So this morning, we're going to look at one of his songs, and that's going to be Psalms chapter 16. Preserve, Preserve me, O God. For in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my God. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hastened after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are my portion. You are my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord's ways always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my glory rejoices. My flesh also rests in hope. For you will not leave my soul in shale, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Um. This morning, along with learning what it is to be blessed, I want to give you four ways, and there's many more, but four ways um, on how to live absolutely miserable. Four ways on how to live absolutely miserable, because, hey, that's what we are all seeking after. That's why you came to church this morning. Hey, I want to leave here absolutely more depressed than the way I came. And so this is your sermon. This is for you. I'm just joking again. Come on, people. Okay, a little experiment. Right now, I want you to take a moment, and I want you to think about your best friend. Think about that person. Uh, it doesn't even have to be your best friend. Maybe just uh, maybe a few different people that you would consider really good friends. People that you enjoy hanging out with. Think about that person and their character. Why are they your best friend? All right. No matter who you thought of, no matter who that person is in your mind, there is one thing that that person has in common with every other person's idea of their best friend right now. And that is this. There's the common element of this. You trust them. You trust that person. Because here's the thing. You cannot enjoy someone that you don't trust. You cannot enjoy someone that you don't trust. And the thing is, the same is true with God. You will never, ever enjoy God if you don't trust him. You will never enjoy God if you don't trust him. There's a story, uh, or better yet, a parable of a climber. And this climber um, 
decided to climb this great mountain all by himself. And so he was up there and he was climbing and he was making good progress when all of a sudden a storm came in. A storm came in and the clouds rolled and it just began freezing rain. And he's up there and it got to the point where there was zero visibility. He couldn't see anything in front of him. So he had just kind of got stuck on this one point in the mountain where he was holding on to his rope. And little did he know that he was just about 30 feet from the very top of the mountain. But he didn't know it because he couldn't see. So he's holding on to that rope. And at some point in the night, he slipped and he fell and he began to go crashing down this mountain when all of a sudden, after about maybe 50 feet of falling, his rope yanks and it pulls him and he finds himself caught by the rope. And he's, lay, he's just there and he's dangling on this mountain all by himself, freezing, almost dead when he cries out to God and he says this, God, if you will just help me, if you will just help me, I'll, I'll, I'll trust in you, God. I'll believe in you, God. And he said at that, at that moment, this voice kind of comes down from heaven. And the voice says, do you trust me? Yes, I trust you. Well, cut the rope. And he laid there hanging from this rope for a minute and thinking to himself. Well... About a day or so later, uh, maybe a couple days later, another group of mountain climbers came up this same mountain and they found this man hanging from a rope, frozen to death, with his hands clenched tightly around the rope. But what was amazing is, is, you know, this kind of happens often on the mountain where mountain climbers will die, but what was amazing is this man was found hanging on this rope and he was hanging just two feet above the ground hanging on to this rope. So here's the question. Would we have cut the rope? If you were that man hanging there in the pitch black of night, would you have cut the rope? See, the thing is, with God and trusting in him, it's not always as easy as it sounds. It's not just kind of just like, I just trust God and it's just so easy. Sometimes God says, cut the rope. And he doesn't give us the explanation of why. He doesn't say, hey, cut the rope because just two feet underneath you is the ground. Sometimes God just says, trust in me. Cut the rope. We're given situations all of the time where God says, cut the rope. Do you trust God with your job? Do you trust God with your finances? Do you trust God no matter who the president is? Do you trust God with your family? with your kids? Do you trust God with your dreams? And what if God says to cut the rope? See, we will never, ever enjoy God if we don't trust him. Luke nine twenty four says this, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Some of the ways of God don't always make sense. Some of the ways that we think make perfect, God just says, hey, there's another way of doing it. But to do it and truly enjoy this life, you are going to have to trust me. So number one way on how to live miserable, don't trust in God. Trust in yourself. Trust in yourself. I guarantee you right now the biggest obstacle for 
quite a few of us right now, isn't some outward thing. Uh, the big op- obstacle facing a lot of us is ourselves. Sometimes we can be our biggest hurdle because we follow, fall underneath the illusion that we can do it all on our own. We fall underneath the illusion that says, if anybody can do it, I can do it, and we find all of our trust in ourselves. So, uh, in this Psalms, David says this, my goodness is nothing apart from you. In you, I put my trust. Number one way rule to live absolutely miserable, just trust in yourself and nothing else. Number two, believe that you deserve and are entitled to something. Believe that there is a certain entitlement coming to you. In verse five, David says this, you, Lord, are my portion and my inheritance. This he finds everything just in God. See, his life isn't made up on outward circumstances, and it doesn't matter if he's in the cave or if he's in the palace. He's saying, Lord God, you are my portion. In you, I am completely satisfied. How many of those people do you know that live this life of entitlement? That they just think that the world owes them something, and no matter what it is, uh, the grass is always greener on the other side. The past is always better than the future. Well, the way that they used to do it back then, or this or whatever, it was always always better someplace else, some other time. And this person can never enjoy anything. This is the person that no matter how right things are, no matter how well things go, they can't enjoy it. The Bible tells the story of a man named Haman. Haman has been promoted to be number two in the kingdom. He walks down the streets and people bow low. He, he gets praise from all of the people uh, wherever he goes and he just loves it. He loves his position. He talks to his friends and his family and he's just, look where the king has placed me. I'm now number two in the kingdom, all that I can do. Except for there is this one guy, this one guy named Mordecai. And Mordecai doesn't bow low. When everyone else is bowing, he just kind of stands there, and Haman can't stand it. Haman can't stand it so much that it irritates him to the point that all life, he is just so furious and so frustrated that he goes home and he whines to his wife and he says, well, look, everyone else is doing this, but this guy, yeah, he does not bow. He does, what can we do? And so he hatches this plan. He says, you know what we'll do? We will build these gallows and we will hang in front of it. And then I will truly be satisfied. Then I will truly be able to walk down the street and enjoy everything. See, there's, he can't enjoy anything all because of this one man, everything that he had, second in command over all of the kingdom. And yet there's this one guy that has totally wrecked his world. He thinks that he is entitled to something. But what's interesting is how the story ends. He's hatched this plan to hang this man on these gallows. But at the end of the story, it turns out that he himself is the one that ends up being hung. And see, that is just like life. Whenever we believe that we are entitled to these certain things, we can't enjoy anything that God's given us. We can't enjoy everything that is around us because all we can see is that one. There's that one thing that just throws it all off. And so we live a life where everything is trying to create and correct 
that one thing that's just thrown off. We can't enjoy anything because, hey, there is that Mordecai there. There is that one thing that is just not right. And so we create these plans to try to get rid of it and try to put everything in its place. And the thing that we build ends up killing us. We end up hanging ourselves on the very thing that we thought would bring us peace. The very thing that we thought would make everything right turns out to be our own destruction. Because we live this life of entitlement. Number two way to guarantee that you can live miserable, just believe that you are entitled to everything. Nothing is ever good enough. Or you can live like David, where David says, you know what, God, you are my portion. You are my inheritance. In verse 9, it says this, my flesh will rest in hope. My flesh will rest in hope. Number three way to guarantee that you live a miserable life, never rest. Never rest. Never take a break. Work seven days a week. Burn yourself out. Go, go, go. Do this, do this, do this. And then take pride in the fact that how hard that you work all the time, 24-7. Take pride in the fact that you are burned out and on the edge and irritable and no one wants to hang out with you because you are doing all of these things and you are just such a hard worker. And we kind of, sometimes as Americans, we really can pride ourselves in that fact that, man, I'm just so, so busy. And God says, you know what? Take a rest. Learn how to rest. Here David's saying, my flesh will rest in hope. Now this is interesting. My flesh will rest in hope. Because when we say hope, that can bring all kinds of things to your mind. And we live in a society today that hope is almost like the final option. Hope is almost like that thing that you have when everything else has failed and you've given up. Well, I hope it'll work out. Well, I hope so. And it's almost this kind of like Hail Mary pass, fourth quarter, and I hope that we can win the game. And like rest is that thing that, well, I, I hope. It's almost like that thing where we've come to the end of ourselves and we've just so burned out that that's all we can do. But David is saying, I've learned how to say, you know what, my flesh, everything that I am, all of this, all of my work, I'm going to learn how to rest in that hope. I'm going to learn how to rest in a hope, in a hope that says it's not all on me. And a hope that says, God, you are ultimately in control of my life. And hope isn't this final Hail Mary pass, but hope is something that is strong. And hope is something that is powerful. And hope is something that is empowering. And hope can get you through. And hope can give you rest. And hope is something that takes everything off of us and says, you know what, God, here it is. I put my hope in you. I give all of these outward circumstances to you. So there's another story. In the Bible, where there's this great storm, and the winds are blowing, and the waves are, ri- are rising, and the disciples are just crazy fear that, oh my gosh, we are going to die. And where is Jesus? Jesus is taking a nap. Jesus is asleep on the boat in the midst of the storm. See, this is the kind of hope that I'm talking about. This is the type of hope that God offers, that even in the midst of the storm, you can rest in him. 
Number three way to guarantee that you will live a miserable life, never rest. Put it all on your shoulders and think that you can do it with hard work. Try to add to the cross. Um, Number four way. In verse 11, it says this. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Number four way guaranteed to live a miserable life, never get close to God. Do all you can to avoid God at all cost. Don't pray. Don't read your Bible. Don't do anything that would cause you to draw near. Because whenever you draw near, David tells us, in your presence, Lord, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures evermore. Do you find satisfaction in God? Think about that for a moment. Do you find satisfaction in God? I think if a lot of us were to answer that question, a lot of us would answer it like the singer from U2 did, where he says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. A lot of us say, you know, honestly, I'm still searching. Honestly, I know I come to church and the pastor talks all about this life of joy and this life and life more abundant that Jesus offers and everything. But honestly, on the inside, it still feels like I haven't found it. I think there's a lot of us, when it's just us and the pillow, that there's a lot of tears that are never cried in public. But when it's just us, there's a moment, you know what, I'm not satisfied and God, and God alone. I don't know this life that the pastor's talking about that's full of joy and peace and forgiveness. I don't, these words that David sings about, Lord, at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. I want to experience that. There's a quote, um, by John Piper, and he says this, God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. Now, the key words to that quote are the last two words there, in him. Finding our satisfaction in him. See, we live in a world where we try to find our satisfaction in every other area than in God. We try to find our our satisfaction in the latest greatest, you know, whether or not you have the the latest iPhone, the latest computer, the latest this or that or or gadget, whatever new that's coming out, whatever it is to be. uh, And and so we wait for these things. We have great anticipation for these things that we're waiting for. It's kind of like Christmas Day and the... But you know what? That joy only lasts for a moment. It seems that the further and further we go in life, the shorter and shorter the pleasures those things give us. I mean, it was just yesterday that iPhone 3 was amazing. And now if you have iPhone 3, what? 
you are old school. And so we wait for the next one, and we wait in anticipation. And in just a few days, we will wait outside in line in the cold for hours and hours and hours because, hey, Best Buy is going to have it on sale. Or whatever it is that this thing is going to happen. Hey, and I'll do it too. You know, I, I love it. I actually love that, those things. But the thing is, the difference is where are we finding the satisfaction in? Is it in God or in the things? Uh, Isaiah 55, 2 says this, Why spend money on what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Those that experience the most enjoyment, this is me, this is not Isaiah now, those that experience the most enjoyment are the ones that find themselves completely satisfied in God. One more time. Those in this life that experience the most enjoyment, that person that you look at and they're just, man, there's just something about them. And it doesn't matter if they've just had the worst day on record or the best day. Man, there's just something. They are the ones that experience the most, they are the ones that find themselves completely satisfied in him, in him and in him alone. Because here's the thing. Those things that we think will bring us the satisfaction, like I just said, they have a short shelf life. In just a few months, that new car smell is going to smell like McDonald's french fries and crushed up Doritos. It doesn't last long. It's not long before you realize this new marriage is kind of like the old marriage. It's not long before the new iPhone gets replaced by the newer iPhone. It's not long before this church becomes just like that church. It's not long before uh, your gym membership turns into what? (laughs) Are you satisfied in God? That is a huge, huge question. Because the more I find that I'm satisfied in him, the more I find that I can enjoy all these other things even more. I can enjoy the phone. I can enjoy the computer. I can enjoy my wife and I can enjoy my kids because I know ultimately my satisfaction is in him and in him alone and all of these other things. Lord, thank you for the blessing. Thank you for having money in my bank account. Thank you for having a car to drive. Thank you for having a roof over my head. But even if all of those things are taken away tomorrow, God, you are good and you are enough. See, that is what being blessed looks like. That is a surefire way to know that you will not live a miserable life. That this Thanksgiving, if you burn up the turkey, it's okay. It is all right. You're surrounded by your family. You have a table to eat it on. We're getting ready to go into a day called Thanksgiving. Are we thankful? We are so blessed. And the thing is, the more and more of these things, the better we can enjoy it, the more we will find our satisfaction in these things when we find it ultimately in him. And so, the question this morning, do we trust in him? Do we think that he is going to be our protector? Do we think that he is going to be our provider? 
Do we find our trust in him or are we trusting in ourselves? Do we live a life in which we think we are entitled to something? Or are we living a life that says, God, and you, and you alone, do I find my goodness? What type of life are we living? Are we living this life that it's all about us, or are we finding our rest in him? Are we satisfied in the things, or are we satisfied in This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org.